So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to get into our message once again on the great image, looking at Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2. I just wanted to open up um, something here. We got way too much, many apps on this thing. There we go. Anyways, and uh, Daniel chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number 24 as we look through this next point. If you need a worksheet, you can raise your hand up. If not, the boys, I think, already got that to you. Um, I, I filled in all the blanks, uh, 1, 2, and 3, Roman number 1, 2, and 3, so we're not going to go there. We did that last week. So today we're going to start on number 4, then we're going to look at the interpretation solved, the interpretation solved. And I will read uh, verse 24 here just to start. It says, Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. I like this. It's interesting because you notice the wording there. Now, how much work did Arioch do to get Daniel to the king? Uh, basically, not a whole lot. But it's funny that when he went before the king, Oh, I have found a man for you. You want a little bit of credit, especially when you're talking to the king. Amen. And so it gives you a little insight into how, who this man really was. And so I have found a man. That happens a lot. You ever have folks that do that? They like taking the credit as much as they can from you. Amen. That's not good character, by the way. We ought not do that. Amen. Uh, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. So this is a very interesting thing here because the Lord was speaking to a heathen king about the latter days. Now you don't see this a whole lot other than in Egypt, of course. Remember the Pharaoh got the dream uh, in relation to the seven good years, the seven bad years. And so the Lord uh, spoke to the king there. But really, there's only the two times in Scripture that the Lord actually operated this way. And this one vision was another one. Now, from here on in, he didn't. He, he, he speaks strictly to Daniel and gives Daniel the visions that he needs about the future because he's dealing with Israel. But here, because it's dealing with the empires of the world, God saw fit to actually speak to the first king of the first empire within that vision. And so that's just an interesting thing to note. And so it says, As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What shall come to pass hereafter? And he that reveals secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. But for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold a great image. 
This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast of his, uh, and his arms of silver, his belly of, and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest tell thou, that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like a, the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Remember, the king said, I want my dream interpreted, but before you do that, I want you to tell me the dream. So here, Daniel, his first step was, let's tell him what his dream is. And I'm sure as he's listening to it, the Lord is opening his eyes saying, yes, that's exactly the dream that I had. And I'm sure it just came to his mind as David was, as Daniel was uh, giving the, the dream there. But then he begins to interpret. He says, thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength and glory. And whithersoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven hath he given into thine hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall rise another kingdom inferior to thee and another third kingdom of brass which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things and iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And where is, thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, and there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou saw the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou saw iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave to one another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And that's interesting because that's really where we are right now in the day and age that we're living today. That's modern uh, uh, prophecy here. And then it says, And in, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. But it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, and the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure." He was just settled. He says, this is it. Amen. Not like these uh, heathen helpers that we looked at last week that didn't know what, what in the world to do with the king's uh, threat. But David was very, or Daniel, why keep saying David? Daniel was very sure. So letter A, it was a great image. It was a great image. This very much could have been the kind of the prototype in the mind of Nebuchadnezzar for the 90-foot image that he would later erect 
uh, of gold and caused the people to actually worship him when he played music. And so Nebuchadnezzar was very proud. He had a big ego. We know that. And uh, so him, him knowing this dream and him knowing that he was the head of gold, I believe that went to his head. And right after that, he, he erects this great statue that he causes people to bow down to because he thinks he's so great. And the Lord, of course, we'll see later on, teaches him a lesson about that. Amen? And so that, it's pretty interesting. But number one, excellent brightness, it's called here, it means it's glorious. It was a very glorious statue. And when you look at the kingdoms of the world, it is glorious. I mean, we're, we're in awe sometimes at, at uh, what man can do. I'm sure if we saw the Tower of Babel, we would just, wow, what a, what a feat uh, that man can do. Uh, even uh, we had Brother uh, Crow here, and he mentioned the, one of the wonders of the world being close to where he is ministering there in Cambodia. And uh, I went and looked on that online, and it truly is marvelous. What an ancient building that's still standing today. And uh, so it's just incredible, the temple that that is. And so this image that he saw, it was a glorious image. It was excellent brightness. Number two, it was a terrible form. That means as they looked at it, it also inspired awe and fear. So it's awe-inspiring. And it, and, and it filled your heart full of that as you look upon this. And that's, I'm sure, why Nebuchadnezzar was so disturbed uh, by his dream. Now, letter B, it was one image revealing that all the kingdoms of the earth are of the same carnal character. It's interesting. We, we have in this passage five kingdoms being mentioned, but only four of them are a part of the statue. The fifth one isn't, all right? Now, the statue is a statue of a man, and so that's, it's characterized as men. So the fifth kingdom is not in the statue of a man. It's different than the men's kingdoms, amen? But these four kingdoms, they're all being represented by this great image, this great uh, picture. Do we have a picture of that there, Ben? just so we can see, give them a little bit of an idea. So there you have the head of gold in Babylon. You've got the, the breast and arm of silver. That's Medo-Persian Empire. The belly and thighs of brass is Greece. The legs of iron is Rome. Then, of course, the feet is also Rome. But that's kind of a representative of that, of that figure that he would have dreamed about. So it's a carnal nature. Um, what did I want to say here? And, and, and so we'll get a little further here. Letter C. The image has a weak foundation pictured by the clay being mixed with iron. So if, if there's anything you know, no matter how smart you are, no matter how strong your arms are, if you don't have feet to stand on, you, you don't go very far. Amen. So it's interesting that the foundation of the statue has become weak. It's iron mixed with clay. I don't know if you've ever taken clay and put metal in clay it doesn't stick, amen? It doesn't mix. They're separate from one another. And so it's very weak. And so th though man can be awe-inspiring, we must understand that the glory of man always fades. It always comes up empty at the end. And that's for us as well. Uh, we cannot think too highly of ourselves because if we do, uh, you'll find out that you're not so great. <laughs> Amen. I remember, you know, the, just interesting things that go through your mind. I used to do uh, a lot of uh, machine work, and so I, I would ditch. 
1997, there was a, uh, a flood that hit Manitoba, and they just really uh, you know, acquired all of the heavy equipment that was around in most of Manitoba to build that dike around Winnipeg. We were a part of that. It was an awesome sight to see all these things going on. I don't think they really knew what they were doing, but it was still awesome to see. <laughs> Amen. But after that, we picked up some work because of the flood where a lot of these municipalities wanted to fix their drainage because they're having blockages and so forth. So I spent the whole next summer, 12 hours a day by myself in a machine, ditching ditches. And I would be in the middle of nowhere, no civilization, in the middle of fields and all around. I, mean, I tell you, it was a, it was a very mind-wracking situation. My machine didn't work very well either, and so it was tough. But while I was going along there, a couple of times I caught myself. I thought, oh, man, you're doing pretty good. And I was, you know, it was laser leveled, so all of our ditches were, were uh, set to laser, so the grade would be exactly right for, for miles and miles and miles and so forth. And I thought, oh, you're doing great. And no longer, you know, it didn't take long after I'd start thinking like that. All of a sudden, it seemed like every time the Lord reminded me something messed up or I did something wrong. I, oh, I missed that, you know, because, well, you're just not so great. <laughs> you know, you, you keep thinking you got something going on, but you really don't. You, you really uh, are, are defective, you know, internally because of the sin nature. You know, so we can't allow our egos to get so big on us because the moment you start thinking you're, you're big, you start puffing up your head is the moment that a little pin comes by and goes pop <laughs> and reminds you that really that's just a bunch of hot air. Amen. It's not reality. And the scripture teaches us the same thing. In 1 Peter 1.24, it says, For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass and the grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So the glory of man is like a flower of grass. It's kind of like uh, if you would take a, a dandelion after, after it's become the fluff, you know, the fluff on it, and you just blow on it, and you see all those little seedlings go like that. That's your glory. Whatever you think how great you are, that's how fickle you are. That's how weak we are. As a flower of grass, we just fade away. And so we always got to keep ourselves in check here. And I think God is also trying to teach Nebuchadnezzar and teaching whoever listens to this, this vision, this dream, that, that, hey, take note of this. As much as, as great and as awesome as you think these kingdoms are, they really will all fall. They are not going to last forever. And I think even the last couple of years, we really need to put ourselves in check because we see all the terrible things that some of our leaders are doing, and we somehow get in our mind that they are under some power that they cannot be beaten. Folks, can I tell you something? Every one of them are going to crash. You know, and they're probably already almost there. You look at even now with the way some things are even turning around in the States. Some of these people that were standing on the top, you know, even a year ago, now have lost their complete jobs and so forth. Folks, no man has the power to continue on on top, no matter how great you think you are. You know, and even Trump himself. You know, that's one thing I always said. If he would just, 
you know, humble himself a little bit, maybe the Lord could bless him to go a little further, amen. But he was so full of himself all the time. I thought, man, you're just, you're really blowing it, <laughs> you know. I like what you're doing. I think your policies are way better than the other guys, but your ego is too big, amen. And sure enough, I mean, there it was. You, you let your ego puff up, and it's going to take you down, amen. And I think that's an important lesson that we need to learn from this statue here. Practical things that we need to apply to ourselves here. All right? So nothing man builds will last forever. Uh, we can only build, we can only build as man upon the sand of sin. Remember how Jesus said, a wise man builds his house upon the rock, but the foolish man builds his house upon the sand. All we can ever do on our own is build upon sand. That's all you can ever do. Anything that's going to last forever has to be built upon rock. And we know the rock is the word of God. The only thing that's going to be worth anything to you is the, the life that you live according to the principles of the word of God. Everything else is going to fall. Everything else is going to falter. Everything else will not deliver what it's promising you. And Satan can take some things and promise you some very big, th- big promises. But I'll tell you something like the scriptures say, it's like a cloud without water. It's like someone dying of thirst and seeing that cloud that looks, boy, it looks like it's going to rain, and it just keeps drifting on by. <laughs> Amen. No water coming down. Wells without water. Oh, I found this well. I'm so thirsty. And you put the bucket in, and you pull out sand. You know, that's what man does. We need God. <laughs> Amen. We need the power of the word of God. And that's why it says, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. So we don't have to count on ourselves we count on the truth of scripture. Letter D, it was made of earthly elements that degrade in quality, representing a degrading in the quality in each successive kingdom. So you start with gold, pretty valuable, silver, not as valuable, brass, less valuable, iron, much less valuable, clay, well, you can get it by going outside and digging in the yard. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so you're, you're degrading in value as these empires are being established. It doesn't mean that they're becoming less strong as such because we know that the iron was the most fierce one. They were the most fierce, but I think that's because they were the less moral as well. The, more, the Roman Empire, you know? And so as far as the morality of these kingdoms, they degrade as time goes by as they as each successive one comes into power and so that really tells you that the opposite the 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 teaching of evolution is truly a lie evolution will teach you that we are getting better and people believe that but it's not true we're not getting better we're devolving adam was was on the top i mean he sinned but you know if you were to compare sinners adam and me Adam was far better than me, <laughs> amen. I mean, he had abilities. This man could, could, uh, he, he could actually tell you and name all of the animals of the earth and remember what they were called. He named every animal, you know, and then remembered when he saw them. That's the pinnacle. <laughs> Since that time, we've been devolving. Our intelligence, our abilities, uh, everything that we have is getting less and less and less. And of course, I think that's because also the splitting of our DNA. 
And that's why God made laws, even when it comes to procreation between close relatives, that wasn't like that in Genesis. They never had laws against Cain marrying his sister at that point. But later on, when the Mosaic law came, then God said, now it's wrong for you to do that. Well, why? That's because the DNA was becoming weaker. <laughs> and the closer the relationship, when you have a relationship like that, you will, you will produce offspring which, with deformities and problems, you see. So God knew that. Now, I've heard uh, people uh, that are trying to contradict, find contradictions in Scripture, some are saying, oh, well, Cain, yeah, and they try to make that. I'm just saying, man, all you're doing is proving the Bible to be true by your arguments, you know. So we see that there's a devolution happening, devolving, not evolving. And that's because of the splitting of the DNA. Uh, you got to remember this. All the information for all of mankind, all of our information, the colors of hair, the strength, the eye colors, everything was in one man. And from that point on, it was divided. You see, no new information is added. And see, and that's one of the problems with the evolution. They tell you that somehow new information can be added through evolution. Well, how can something that wasn't a fish now become a bird or, or, or so forth? How can a monkey become a man? How can something just also grow a fin and so forth? Because they're saying that, and they know this not to be true, but new information has to be added. But it never has since the first man was created. <laughs> All the information was there, and it's just simply been divided since that day. And that's why the Bible says, in Adam all die. We were in him. And because of his corruptness, everything from him is also corrupt. Amen? Because that we are in Adam, all right? But all in Christ shall be made alive. You can become a new creature in him, amen? Anyways, uh, number one, the head of gold. We looked at this already. Number two, the breast and arms of silver is the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. I've just got a map up here. I don't know if this is going to pull up. Maybe Ben can pull up the map just to show you. And I want to point this out because this is going to come into play later. So the Medes and the Persians, this was the extent of their world empire during that time. So that's important to know because a world empire to me would seem like the world, you know. But at this point, because people were so uh, simply just, uh, you know, sitting in, in certain areas of the world, that's where the empires were. Now, there were people probably spread around, but as far as the power centers, this would include them all. All right? So that would be the Medes and the Persians. All right, so the scriptures tell us here in Daniel 2, verse 39, And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. That means less than you. And another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. So the two arms, when you're looking at the two arms of the breast uh, of silver, you're looking at the two kingdoms. You're looking at the Median, the, the Medes, and the Persians. And so actually you had two different nas nations here involved in this second empire after Babylon. And so thus you have the two arms. All right, so all of that was purposeful. Number three, the belly and his thighs of brass. This is the kingdom of Greece. You've heard probably a lot of stories about Alexander the Great. Uh, he was the leader of this, of this war. 
Uh, he, was, he was phenomenal. Later on, we'll see that the leopard represents him, and that's with wings on his back because he was so quick. He was a small uh, country. They, they did not have great armies. They were completely outnumbered by the Medes and the Persians. But what he did is with his uh, military know-how and his speed, he beat them. That's what made him the king, the next empire. In fact, they would learn ways to interlock their shields as they went in, where a small army could take a huge army because they knew how to defend themselves and go in using military prowess and so forth. Amen? And so it's important that we see things like this. So later on, we're also going to see that uh, this is revealed as the vision of the ram and the he-goat. And Ben, I'm going to get you to pull up that picture there as well, the ram and the he-goat. And so Greece being the he-goat and Alexander the Great being the great horn. And so uh, we're going to see a vision that Daniel's going to get about this ram, which is the two horns of the ram, uh, is the Medes and the Persians, the one horn's slightly bigger than the other one. And then the he-goat will have one horn that will come out and defeat the kingdoms. But then the Bible, then it goes on to say how that one horn is going to break off and split into four. And that's because after Alexander the Great died, the kingdom was divided to his four generals. Now this is history, but this is given long before that happened. Amen. Word of God is real. Amen. It's true. And so we'll get into that later. But uh, I'll, I'll read it to you here in Daniel 8, verse 20. The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of the Media and Persia, and the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. That means because of, of the dividing once again, the power of the empire became less. And of course, setting them up for defeat again when the Romans came in. All right. And then that brings us to number four, the legs of iron and the feet with part clay. This is the kingdom of Rome, 63 BC till today. Uh, and I'll explain that to you. Uh, Daniel 2 verse 33, it says his legs of iron, his feet, part of iron and part of clay. So let's talk about one empire. Daniel 2 verse 40 says, And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces, and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And wherein thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part iron, part of clay, this, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Now this is interesting. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall not mingle themselves with the seed of man, uh, or they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave to one another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So being iron, this kingdom is the strongest kingdom. Uh, gold is precious, it's valuable, but it's soft. And it's interesting because when the Medes and Persians took over Babylon, they didn't even fire an arrow. They just kind of went underneath the wall while uh, Belshazzar was partying with the the, the temple uh, vessels and so forth, and they went and killed the king and took over, you know? So they didn't have a whole lot of strength, 
as you would think an empire would when an, when an opposing army is coming against them, amen? Uh, it's also the least valuable, meaning that its moral character has declined. And you truly see that within the Roman Empire. It had a terrible morality, but it had a very fierce military. And so it, 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 was, it, was, uh, it was unmerciful in the way it treated its enemies. Amen. Uh, the legs and feet mixed with clay are the same kingdom. The legs and the feet. Uh, the feet have become weak because of the mix of clay or the seed of men it talks about. This is naturally referring to the democratic style of government issued by the Roman Empire. Now we know that the Roman Empire began with, with emperors. Emperors were the dictators. In fact, they called themselves God. But you know what? Over time, they, they were fighting this the whole time. The Senate was always trying to make the government the people's government. And so what we have today in our democracy is really a result of the Roman Empire going into that type of government. Now, I look at that, and I think it's not a bad thing being a dem democracy. I'd rather have democracy than having Hitler as my dictator. <laughs> Amen. Now, this is the thing. The strength of a kingdom is stronger when there's a dictator. But if the dictator is a tyrant and a wicked man, its morality will be driven very low. But the strength will be strong. So now when the democratic process takes place, and now the seed of men is mixed with the iron, what are we doing in here? Well, how are we connecting with this iron empire? Well, we're connecting by our vote. <laughs> Amen. We're voting in our leaders. Now that's okay as long as you've got strong people and good people that are voting. But the moment the majority of the people are wicked and ungodly, now you've lost your kingdom, you see. And so it's not a perfect system. Now people, they, they go out there, fly the flag, democracy, and hey, I'm saying I'd rather have democracy than Hitler running the country. But I'm telling you this, I would rather have a dictatorship if Jesus was the dictator. Amen. Amen. So what we're saying is this, there is no kingdom that will ever be successful. But you know what? They're right to have a king. In fact, God chose that ultimately for the final kingdom to have a king. That is essentially a dictatorship. Amen? <laughs> but you got to have the right dictator. And that's why the Bible says he'll rule with a rod of iron. So in other words, if you don't follow Christ's law you'll get beat with a rod of iron, which makes sense. But not only that, he'll also rule his kingdom in righteousness, the right way. Every decision he'll make is right. Right for you, right for your family, right for the world. Wouldn't that be great to have a leader like that? It seems like now we have leaders that every decision they make is the wrong one. <laughs> like, kill the babies, kill the people, kill the disabled. Oh, what should we do? Uh, we'll kill them. You know, like, come on, man. Don't you have a right answer? It's because we've lost the heart for God. We've, we've pushed God out of our lives. And a democracy with no God is bad. That's when you call everybody he, she, her, them, it. And you'll go to jail if you don't. <laughs> Amen. It's a wicked time we live in. 
It really is. And so I just wanted to explain that to you about, about the feet of clay because that Roman Empire, somehow it is still here today. But it's weak because of the democratic process. You understand? Mixed with the seed of men. And, but that's going to change when Jesus Christ comes. Amen? Well, actually, Antichrist will give dictatorship another shot. <sighs> right? And he'll become a dictator, but that's only going to last, really, for three and a half years from mid-trib on. He's actually going to have power over the world. That's when the ten kings will give the power to the Antichrist. Not even for the first three and a half. He's still limited in the first three and a half years of the tribulation, you know. So letter A, the Roman Empire becomes weaker, divided into two legs, the east and the west. And so these legs of iron, you got two legs. And of course, you know, with the, the Roman Empire, what happened is it, it began to be divided. So they divided into two different legs. And both of those legs each had themselves an emperor that ruled that. And the western leg survived to 476 AD. And then that kingdom was totally destroyed. And the eastern leg survived another thousand years. In fact, they, they survived to 1453 AD, AD 1453, when the Turks conquered them, the Byzantine Empire. And that's when the second leg lost its power, right? And so letter B, the Roman Empire exists today in the unified European nations, all right? Because the Roman Empire was always made up of that locality right there, right there within the, the European countries. So now you've got this union taking place, but this union, it seems almost like a waste of time. It almost seems very weak. It doesn't really accomplish anything purposeful. Well, that's because it's mixed with clay. Amen? But the empire is still there. It's still existing today. All right? Um, letter C, there will be ultimately uh, ten kingdoms within the Roman Empire represented by the ten toes. So now I don't know how many are in the European Union. I don't know if that's going to be the entity that will exist at the time when Christ comes or not, or whether something else will take place, some other... Um, alliance, I have no idea. But all we know is, is that when Christ comes, there's going to be 10 kings that are going to be allied together. Whether it be France, Germany, some of the other ones, England, who knows how that's all going to work. Uh, you, you don't get all that information. And so, Daniel 7, verse 7, it says, And this I saw in the night visions, and behold, the fourth beast, dread, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth, it devoured and break in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and had ten horns. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom uh, there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things." So these ten horns, three of them are going to be plucked up, and out of those three horns, one is going to come. And that one is going to have many eyes, and it's going to, have, it's going to speak great things. Now this is, we're talking about the Antichrist. So in Daniel, we refer to the Antichrist as the little horn. 
So it talks about the little horn, that's actually the Antichrist coming to power. All right? And so there have been many seeking to unify the nations under one ruler since the time of the Roman Empire. You had uh, Charlemagne was one. You had Napoleon was trying to be that. Hitler was trying to be that. These were all horns that were coming up that were trying to take over and unify the nations underneath one dictator. All right? So it's not just a bunch of, uh, it's not just a bunch of, oh, well, we'll try this, we'll try this, and, and, and detach things going on. There is a push by Satan within our world to set up a world leader that he can possess and get worship from man in this world. And he's been trying to do that from the beginning, you know. And now with the Roman Empire, that's what he's been trying to do. And ever since, you've had these rulers trying to raise up and, and uh, take over. Now, letter E, the stone cut without hands is the return of Christ to establish his kingdom. So in Daniel 2, verse 43, it says, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So this is the state of the kingdoms when Christ comes. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of mountain of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. Uh, Psalm 118 says this about the coming Messiah. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. Amen. And again, in the New Testament, you have referring to Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Amen. He is that king. He is that stone that's going to crash down these four empires. So number one, the kingdoms of men will continue until Christ's return. And this time period, from the time that Nebuchadnezzar took power to the time where Jesus Christ is going to crash the feet of that statue and bring all the empires down, it's called the time of the Gentiles. Amen? Israel will not have any dominion in this world until all these empires are destroyed by Jesus Christ. Then Israel will once again be the ruling nation of the world. All right? And so they will continue. The kingdom of Rome, it exists today, but it's existing in a weakened form. Number two, the kingdoms of men are destroyed suddenly and violently. Violently. In verse 44, in these days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Uh, Revelation 19 is referring to the detail of this return. It says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture, and is on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? There ain't no beating this king. <laughs> He's going to take them all down 
very quickly and very violently in a short time. We're going to be following. We may have a sword on our side, but it's staying in the sheath. Amen. All you need is that sword out of Christ's mouth. Just the word has to be spoken and the armies will be decimated and the nations will be judged. Number three, Christ's kingdom will never end. It says, which shall never be destroyed. So you think of this, every kingdom, as long as it lasted, they all had an end. You could just say, hey, I know you're having a great old time, but you're going to end. You understand that? But you look at Christ's kingdom, it says we'll never be destroyed. Never end. Never end. That's the one that we're going to be involved with, with Christ as our Lord. Amen? Wonderful. And so, it says in Luke one thirty one, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of David his father, of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Just in case you're wondering who the stone is. Amen. Jesus Christ prophesied there in Luke to Mary and also to Joseph. Uh, you know that it's Jesus Christ. Number four, Christ's kingdom is of a divine, righteous character. It's a stone cut out of the mountain without hands it was separate from the statue of a man and it is not the same kind of kingdom it's different it's cut without hands um isaiah 32 verse 1 behold the king shall reign in righteousness and princes shall rule in judgment isaiah 9 verse 7 of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. So that's a a great uh, character and righteousness that we will see in this kingdom, Christ's kingdom. And so, I think we're almost done. And so that brings us to the end of the, the, the vision So basically, Daniel just tells them, the interpretation is sure, this is right, it's going to happen. Folks, what are the chances, even the details that I've talked about tonight, before any of this history took place, it was already given to us in Scripture. We knew about the fall of uh, the Medes and the Persians, we knew about uh, Greece, we knew about uh, Rome, we knew about the divisions of these kingdoms, Four coming out of Greece, two breaking off from Rome. We, we know now even about the form of government we have today has been revealed to us by the feet mixed with clay and iron. Amen? It's all revealed. The Lord knew it all from way back. <laughs> That's our God. That's our God. That's our King. Don't put a lot of faith in what you see in this government today. I mean, I mean we could do what we can. I put in my vote for the conservative leader this week. I joined the party just so I could vote. (laughs) Amen, that's it. I probably won't do much else. I'll probably let it run out. But you know, we got to do what we can to influence the government that we have. Because like I said, I believe that the strength, the seed mixed with the iron, has a lot to do with the majority rule. And so when the righteous people rule, then they can choose righteous leaders. 
But when the wicked people rule or the righteous become apathetic, then the wicked will rule. So we got to do what we can. Amen. Within the law, let's do it. But you know, ultimately, my hope's not in Pierre. Uh, he's not, it's not in Trudeau or anybody else that would take his place. They're all going to fail. Every last one of them. But we've got a king coming, and he's a stone cut without hands. And uh, I don't know if I had all the details. Did I? I thought there were some things. I missed one, didn't I? Number five, it just dawned on me, Christ's kingdom will be a global kingdom. A global kingdom. Now, that was important because remember I showed you the picture of the, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, which really took in the Middle East, the European countries, and so forth. But now the Bible says that this stone is cut out of a mountain, and that mountain is going to fill the whole earth. So Christ's kingdom isn't going to just be a localized empire. It's going to be every part of the globe. Amen? And there's never been an empire like that ever. Never. Even though it's been a world empire, they really had to focus in on certain populated areas and cities and countries. And those were the power countries, but yet at the same time, Jesus Christ is going to look over every portion of this globe, even to that family that's living way down in the deepest part of the jungle. Jesus will know about them, and he will care. Now, these other kings didn't care. They cared about the power centers, right? He cares about the whole globe, Every person on the earth, he's going to care for. What a wonderful thing that's going to be. Amen? And so anyways, I want to get that one in there. But the institution served, I just wanted to point out, you don't have any blanks there. But again, because of this interpretation, you had the fact that Daniel was honored. Uh, you see that here in 46. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that he should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. And the king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth, it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Because he did this thing for God, it glorified the Lord. And so the Lord was also glorified. Amen. The third thing we see in the next verse, Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. Do you think the Lord knew about that? <laughs> Promotion cometh not from man, but from the, or from the east or from the west, the Bible says, but promotion cometh from the Lord. Amen? Many people are trying to promote themselves by impressing man. You want to be promoted, you impress the Lord. Amen? That's what God did for Daniel, and he did it for a purpose because he wanted him in that position of power so he could be a protector for his people. Amen? So God was doing all this. And then number four, Daniel's faithful friends were delegated as well. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So who were these guys? They were, these were his prayer warriors. These are the ones that... They got on their knees before God all night and said, Lord, give Daniel that answer. 
And because of their involvement in the work of God, God blessed them and gave them all specific things that they could do in God's economy for Israel. Amen. And so that's important. Good, good stuff we can learn from that. All right. Let's bow.